What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Welcome back, my friends. I'm excited today to talk about a topic that I've been wanting to cover for a while, and that is sleep. Now, before you run away or fall asleep, uh, this is going to be a really interesting episode with lots of great pearls and takeaways, not on a very generic level, but really on evidence and specific tangible takeaways from Molly McLaughlin. And I actually initially invited her to speak on the podcast and then ended up having her as a guest expert within my Surrender Gym community and told her we could just repurpose that. So I'm going to share a bit from that discussion to make sure that sleep gets the appropriate coverage it deserves on this podcast. So I'm going to share a bit of Molly's talk with us. It was a little bit over an hour, so I won't share the whole thing just for time's sake, but I will share um, some really important pieces that I know will be beneficial for you as takeaways on the importance of sleep. So Molly McLaughlin is the creator of Sleep is a Skill, a company that optimizes people's sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. The company was born from scratching her own itch after a lifetime of poor sleep habits culminated into a mega challenging bout of insomnia for months without end. With a background in, she went down the rabbit hole to solve her sleep disturbances without sleeping aids. She became fascinated with chronobiology and by extension, its practical applications to restore a state of homeostasis, not only to her sleep, but also to her life as a whole. Knowing the difference between a life with sleep and without, she's now dedicated her life to sharing the forgotten skill set of sleep. So just to highlight before we get started, the importance of sleep and sleep disorders, I wanted to give you some statistics. Currently, there are 50 to 70 million US adults with a sleep disorder. That's 50 to 70 million. 48% report snoring. 37.9% report unintentionally falling asleep during the day at least once in the preceding month. 4.7% report nodding off or falling asleep while driving at least once in the preceding month. And drowsy driving is responsible for 1,550 fatalities and 40,000 non-fatal injuries annually in the U.S. Insomnia is the most common specific sleep disorder with short-term issues reported by about 30% of adults and chronic insomnia by 10%. The statistics continue to go. These are from the American Sleep Association, but I just wanted to highlight how prevalent sleep disorders are. And so with that being said, and the stage set, here we go with Molly. So so what we're looking to do is optimize sleep in the 21st century, and I'll get into why that's so important of the time in the, you know, on the planet that we're, that we're in and why we're kind of set up against, um, 
you know, uh, the, our lifestyles don't necessarily call for great sleep at the moment. And to put into context, you know, last year, 2020, uh, the word insomnia was Googled more than any time in history that we've been charting and logging keyword searches. Um, so if you are having any difficulty with your sleep, you're not alone. Sleep tips as a keyword search is like through the roof. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's a phenomenon that seems to be happening uh, across, across the globe, but it, a lot of it um, is around our lifestyles. And certainly, you know, the pandemic has flared things up for a lack of um, stability in our sleep. Uh, so we're going to be talking about optimizing sleep, transforming your health, mood, and productivity through technology, accountability, behavioral change, um, and kind of what we alluded to, sleep deprivation numbers at an all-time high and exponentially really rising. Uh, one of the most important steps for our health and well-being and performance is to rediscover, relearn everything we thought we knew about the skill set of exceptional sleep. So, um, so the why that it's critical, I really got viscerally why it was so critical when I couldn't sleep and just, you know, for days and days on end, it was just such a struggle and it became clear. It's like, I can't do things. I can't do anything when I'm not, when I'm not rested. And also just my mental health was really just so, I was so stressed, so anxious of like, is this um, how it's going to stay? And yet for many people, we might not have it be that um, extreme, but we, we might just feel like a little cranky, a little moody, um, and our waistline might be affected because uh, glucose levels really tend to rise when we're not uh, well rested. Even just a couple hours off um, can really flare up changes, hormones, balance, um, energy levels, all that good stuff. Um, so we'll talk about strategies around that. Um, but this is, you know, a fun stat of people who regularly get fewer than six hours of sleep are at higher risk for diabetes, heart disease, stroke, cognitive decline, and death of any cause. All cause mortality is like quite the sweeping statement, and yet it is aligned with this. So a lack of restful sleep also makes it more likely that a person will gain weight. So that goes kind of speaking to and have higher levels of stress hormone cortisol. Um, so we'll talk more about these different types of hormones that are important for our sleep uh, and ones that might kind of quote unquote sabotage our sleep to use a dramatic word, uh, but you know, and, and ways that we can of course uh, shift that. So, okay, so getting into, we know, so assuming that we've all established that yes, um, you know, sleep currently is a problem for many, um, likely, you know, those of you either listening now or listening on replays, um, you know, might want to improve your sleep and you're committed. Okay. So coming from that place, then we've got a couple frameworks that we operate within. So the first one is called the sleep tripod. And what we, um, what we speak to with a sleep tripod is like any great tripod, uh, there's three legs and then to have it work and function, you want to have workability within all of those three legs. So in this conversation, psychology, physiology, and environment are going to be three really important elements to getting great sleep. Um, and now to parse those out a little bit deeper, there are times when it's just so clear that psychology is a big part of that. So like in my example, um, I definitely had a lot of psychology stuff going on. There's stress with the business, uh, you know, uh, revenues, employees, all of that sort of stuff. That was like a huge one and just, you know, the management, the, the way I was managing things wasn't working in the stress levels. So that was a big one in, on that leg of the tripod. But other people might have um, a couple of things. Sometimes it's cute, you know, there's a death in the family or, you know, loved one, 
you lose a job, you know, you're kind of have a divorce, all of those sort of things, they can be clear um, and you can point to. But then what I would see a lot of people um, that come for sleep as a skill might just have chronic um, uh, kind of stressors, low level stressors, or not even maybe low, high level stressors, but it's just chronic and it doesn't kind of, um, it's not really up and down. It just sort of keeps um, persisting. And so that kind of sympathetic response that we're in, that can really cause problems with uh, the ability to both fall asleep and stay asleep. Um, and then the quality of the sleep that you get because of those you know, high heart rates and low HRV, heart rate variability. So we'll get into that. Your physiology. Um, so this one, um, as far as I know, we have uh, all women on the call and uh, particularly for for women at different parts of our um, of our life, then often we have even more to be uh, mindful of on the topic of getting great sleep. Uh, because if we're of menstruating age, then we have you know four different um, kind of almost uh, quantifiably very different hormonal levels that we're dealing with, and it's all within the realm of infradian rhythm. So our infradian rhythm versus circadian rhythm, which is a daily rhythm, infradian rhythm happens around a 28 uh, day cycle. And so if we're not mindful of where we're falling in our cycle, we're really kind of setting ourselves up for unnecessary kind of mystification of why um, we're not sleeping well at certain times. So, you know, if we are short of it is like, um, if we, uh, in luteal phase is one for, for women of menstruating age that you can often anticipate more uh, disrupted sleep, higher heart rate, lower HRV during that period. Um, so, but then of course, as we're moving through different periods of our, of our, um, of our life, then perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause can bring about a whole different slew of hormones and that can often um, disrupt sleep. So getting a clear sense of what might be happening, even just on the one, the hormonal level. Two, um, then there's all kinds of things that might disrupt sleep if our, if our body is not um, kind of having some balance within. So common examples, oh, really low magnesium levels, um, you know, B vitamins, uh, iron levels, thyroid, uh, you know, there's all of these various things that then if they're a bit out of alignment, then that can cause problems with our sleep. Uh, then there's some, you know, often, um, uh, even more tricky ones that can, you know, parasites, different issues that might be going candida, things of that nature in the gut health, leaky gut, um, for sleep quality. So really cueing into the body and how we're doing there. And then a very common one for sleep. So it's, say if you've seen ads on wherever Instagram or whatever you're on, whatever platforms you might be on, um, a lot of at-home test um, kits and companies are popping up, especially with COVID. So you might see different like um, mail order tests that you can take with saliva, um, with kind of pricking to get some blood samples. So ways that you don't even have to go anywhere to test some of your um, bodily function levels. And uh, a very popular one is alignment with your cortisol and melatonin. So a more popular, a popular one for years has been the Dutch test, and that's the dried urine analysis test. Um, and so that would be you pee on a stick throughout a bunch of times throughout the course of the day, and uh, you get a sense of your melatonin and cortisol levels because they're meant to have a nice arc um, with a rhythm. So we want to cultivate higher cortisol during the day, and in a, in a when we say high, like a Goldilocks effect, 
um, of a workable level and then having it nicely lower in the evening and then shift over into melatonin. But often when we'll take some of these tests, then we'll say, oh no, like I'm really high in cortisol at certain times of the day, maybe even going into the bed um, time hours, which obviously is a little bit tricky to then fall asleep if your body is sensing that there's a problem and that we're stressed and what have you. Um, so those are some ways to kind of cue into the physiological tripod. And then the environment is one that I would wager that most of us could continue to use um, up-leveling with. And what I mean by that is beyond just the kind of like, oh, sleep hygiene, top five things. Um, you know, a lot of us kind of know some of those basics, but what I think a lot of us don't understand is how important um, a couple of these indicators are, and I'll, I'll get the, into these more in future slides, but basically just the importance of um, uh, light timing is a huge one because it's the biggest in, um, influencer of our circadian rhythm. And uh, so we'll parse that out a bit more, but ensuring that you have tons of bright light during the day, uh, but then in the evenings that you're really shifting over into a dim uh, sleep environment and uh, that you're, you know, shifting over in while you're sleeping, of course, to total darkness. Um, but I'll get into more about that because that's where kind of some of the like biohackery things that you might see with like the blue blockers and the red lights and all that stuff um, that comes into that. But first, before we get into that, just for some context um, of why this is such a problem in the 21st century. So this was a stat back in 2016 from the World Health Organization uh, that um, the amount of time that the average person is spending indoors was around 90% back in 2016 by the World Health Organization. We'd imagine that that's like way higher now with the lockdown, the pandemic, all the things, it's winter, all that stuff. Um, so we can imagine that that number is even higher. Why are we talking about that with sleep? The reason is that for thousands of years, we would be connected to the rhythms of nature, which is just sun rising and sun setting every single day because we're diurnal creatures um, living on this 24 hour rhythm of the circadian rhythm, uh, diurnal meaning that we're meant to be active during the day and at rest at night. You know, with my example of myself, I was like upside down, you know, bat girl, vampire girl by, you know, kind of being active by night um, and at rest uh, during more during the day. So we're looking to how can we kind of harken back to how things were for so many thousands of years, because really post Edison, which in, you know, um, developmental standards, we have not evolved to align with this 24 hour uh, optionality that basically Edison granted us by having the light bulb, because with the light bulb um, previous to that, uh, it would be incredibly expensive to, for most people, the average person couldn't, um, for thousands of years really afford to have, you know, candles at all sources and be up to all hours. Um, you know, and for even pri prior to that, we really just were for thousands and thousands of years, just connected to when the sun would set, then it was bedtime and it was total darkness. Um, the first kind of biohackers were like cavemen that discovered fire. And then that was the first kind of biohack because that extended the days a little bit longer with fire. Um, but then shortly after that, you know, you would still go to sleep and you'd still be tethered to that rhythm. So it's only really been in recent years where we just have this option pretty affordably for just about anyone pretty much um, can then have a 24 hour optionality of how to spend their days. And therein lies uh, part of the problem because we're kind of becoming a bit of these zoo animals devoid of 
a few key indicators that would indicate when we are meant to be doing certain things um, around the body because we have this rhythm that's really, really important. And we're only now just discovering even more how important it is. Um, so, you know, it was just in 2017 that uh, the Nobel Prize was given to three guys around circadian rhythm and how much of a difference that made for uh, health and well-being. Um, and so more and more information is coming out about this. Um, but the important thing to know is you have a say. So circadian rhythm entrainment is the other framework that then we'll get into, which is uh, open any chronobiology textbook and you'll find, okay, so you can entrain your circadian rhythm because the really important takeaway is that our circadian rhythm exists on a spectrum. So there's either we can either have a strong circadian rhythm or a weak circadian rhythm. And so I would wager that most of us in, you know, Western society or what have you would uh, largely be more on that weaker side. So when, what's the challenge with that is just that it takes us so much more effort to kind of fall asleep and then get up um, kind of count audibly because we have such variability and a lack of clear cues to the body of what time it is and what time we're, what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so the good news is we can entrain this. So how do you entrain it? Um, it's basically the entrainment is a um, synchronization or alignment of the internal biological clock rhythm, including its phase and period to external time clues, um, such as a natural light dark, uh, light dark cycle or dark light cycle. Uh, and then we'll get into examples of what those are. So, um, okay. So say you're saying, okay, fine. I'm going to really take on my sleep. I really want to improve this area. Um, then how would I train to make my circadian rhythm kind of move from this weak side of the spectrum over to a stronger circadian rhythm? So it's easier for me to fall asleep. Like I kind of just always do it around the same time. Uh, well, one of the first most important steps um, is this light timing. So if you get nothing else out of what I'm saying today, I hope that it's this. Um, and so what light timing looks like is every morning, what we want to ideally do is get ourselves outside pretty much as soon as possible. Um, and getting ourselves exposed to full spectrum sunlight. And, um, when I say exposed, we want to make sure that we're exposing the eyes in particular, um, so ensuring you don't have sunglasses on or anything, um, obstructing that because the eyes are one of the biggest cues to, cause they're connected directly to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your master clock in your brain, uh, that basically every single day requires a kind of resetting. So while you might be like, well, this is like so much to think about because I'll be saying more things, um, and different things to bring in. But if you think about it, it's really stuff that would have automatically happened for a thousand years back when we would be living out in the rhythms of nature. Um, we would be pretty much living outside outdoors counter to that World Health Organization stat. Instead of being indoor creatures, we'd be outdoor creatures. And so we would just be pretty much sleeping on the ground for the most part. And then when the sun would rise, that would itself act as the cue automatically. They wouldn't have to think about it, nothing, you know, there's no strategy, it would just happen. So the sun would rise and then that light would cue the body that, okay, now it's time to wake up. And not only does seeing that light um, signal uh, a, a kind of excitatory response, a slew of uh, kind of cortisol, which we wanna cultivate in the morning in a good way, um, it would also suppress melatonin. So if you ever wake up and you're like, 
groggy and ugh, just like dragging. Um, there can be times if the things are really kind of out of balance that you might still even be uh, kind of have this leftover melatonin production or secretion that's happening uh, in the morning hours. So that presence of sun kind of cancels all that out. Uh, so what we want to do is get exposed to that. And it's really not from just behind a window because that can take 50 to 100 times longer to reset that master clock behind a window. Uh, so getting outside is crucial. Uh, even if it's just for a few minutes, ideally, you know, you're getting around 20 minutes or so, but um, even if it's a few minutes that can still have benefits, but then you also would ideally want to be dosing yourself outside by getting that sunlight throughout the course of the day. But the most important time is the front end of your day, because that really kind of tells the body we're done with the evening and we're moving into kind of day mode, I call it with clients. Um, so bringing that in, but also um, we want to be cultivating as much brightness as possible. So I went to the 2020 um, sleep conference, which had all the brightest, you know, uh, sleep MDs, sleep researchers, sleep scientists, all that good stuff. And they could use some help with marketing, but basically their takeaway was um, like the whole thing was bright days, dim nights. And, you know, even though it's not as jazzy of a marketing, you know, thing, it's simple. And so if we can just remember that, almost kind of think of like a day at the beach when you're just being doused with light all day long. The reason that that's important from a circadian perspective is that there's a ratio that's super high of light exposure in the daytime. So that high ratio of light, when even if then you're exposed to a little bit of blue light in the evening, it's so clear to the brain what was what, and it's so much lower on the totem pole, the amount of light that it's less effective. But if you are indoors, like, you know, using myself as an example, I would be waking up late. I would be like, oh, I have a headache, ugh, like dragging. And then I would be avoiding all sources of light. I probably wouldn't get outside until like forever later. Um, and then and then really the biggest source of light would be when then I would start getting dark and I would turn on all the lights. Uh, so it was exact opposite of what we're trying to cultivate. Um, so really be mindful of that. A way to make it, I think, fun is there's an app um, or there's a couple apps they're meant to be for photographers to gauge the light in your environment. And um, one's called Light Meter, one's called Lux, and, and there's other ones, but most of them are free or very affordable. And what you can do is then measure the amount of Lux in your space. Um, so that's the amount of Lux output or light output. And so even if you just do this for a couple of days, you pretty quickly get the point because you're like, oh my God, in most indoor spaces, it's so dim. Um, and then outdoor spaces, it's so bright, even on a cloudy day, even on a snowy day, even on whatever, um, it's still tremendously more bright than it is inside for most of us. Um, now I see one of us on the call. I'm not sure. I don't see names, um, but there's like, you know, the fluorescent lights back there, right? Um, so we want to be really aware of some of the lights in our environment um, because some of those um, can be tricky for our overall health and well-being. Unfortunately, it stinks. So they like particularly fluorescent lights can then just, um, you know, have a flicker rate going on. There's a whole world of uh, learning that we can get into about sleep uh, or about light quality. Um, however, if we are going to be exposed to any of those type of lights that have high blue output, which is like those LEDs, fluorescence, all that stuff, if there ever is a time to be exposed to those, it would be in the morning hours because we want to be, um, that can kind of help 
cultivate a, um, awakening effect. But ideally, your main light source is from the sun. Um, there's also companies called like Brilli. I had them on the podcast. We have um, the Sleep is a Skill podcast. So we had uh, that company that's aiming to make circadian lighting. Um, so you can get lighting that's meant to mimic sun. Um, if you want to really invest in this topic, is particularly if you're in the northern northern hemisphere where we're getting way less sun exposure, particularly in the evenings. Or sorry, uh, well, definitely in the evenings, but also in the winters. Then there are FDA cleared uh, light boxes that can even help generate vitamin D. So one is Sperty, S P E R T I. I have no affiliation with them, but just sharing that they're an FDA cleared one. Um, that can still generate vitamin D. So different things that you can kind of get around this problem to a degree. But the most unfortunate thing to share is depending on where you might be located. Um, so like I grew up in uh, Maine, went to school in Syracuse, you know, very cold, snowy, uh, lived in Manhattan for years. I definitely feel if anyone is in those locations, the Northern hemisphere um, spots you in the winter, this is the bad news insight is that not only do you need to be outside just as much as you are in the summer to get the kind of necessary dosage of light, you actually really need to be outside even longer uh, in those periods uh, to get enough of that vitamin D um, for not only mood, serotonin, um, but those are precursors, necessary precursors to melatonin in the evening, um, but also just for feel good hormones and what have you, but then for that quality sleep. So uh, aiming for that. And then of course you can supplement with some vitamin D, but it still doesn't seem to have the same effect as light exposure. So embracing that cold is going to be part of our uh, training, I guess you could say. And um, Wim Hof is a popular one. If you want to look into some of the many benefits of cold therapy, uh, but so then we shift over to darkness timing. So obviously the flip side of light is darkness and melatonin is known as the hormone of darkness. So really take, you can use that same lux and kind of the opposite of what we do during the day. We wanna cultivate as dark as humanly possible during the day, uh, sorry, ugh, clarity uh, in the evening. And then, so one of the you know kind of uh, easiest ways could be just to switch over to candlelight in the evening. Um, very low tech, but I do know a lot of, you know, families, kids, it might not be as practical. Uh, so other things like I have a red light, um, this one happens to be red light therapy too. So you can get some health benefits and circadian benefits with things like that. But then you can also just get red bulbs, um, that can help shift over your environment so that that helps cultivate enough melatonin production in the evening, but also not only from a melatonin uh, production, when melatonin is being produced. One of the other things that that can help benefit is just like a calming experience in the evening. Okay, I hope you all have been taking notes, have pen and paper nearby because I know this is a lot, but it's such good information. I wanted to break in here just to remind you to grab your journal if you don't have it and lead into the next part, which is about thought timing. Really interesting what Molly brought up here with regard to the physiological impact of us thinking a lot at bedtime and how that plays into the potential for us to not be able to fall asleep. So I'm going to play that section here and then we will wrap up with this episode. Thought timing. So as we're starting to wrap up, um, one of the things that I'd say about thought timing, I think is really interesting. I often uh, point to this uh, gadget and not because of the gadget, you don't need to get the gadget, but it's just interesting. It's called Ebb, E-B-B. And um, it has some clinical trials be, uh, behind it. 
And the uh, gadget is like a headband and it cools your prefrontal cortex. And it's meant for kind of um, people that have been you know, chronic insomniacs or what have you. Because the reason that um, occurred was that they were measuring chronic insomniacs and would find that their uh, brain matter and the prefrontal cortex would be warmer, hotter than um, other people that were having no trouble falling asleep. So then the thinking was, okay, let's cool that matter and see if that helps with sleep onset. And it does seem to help with sleep onset for some people. Um, so I'm not saying that you need to get that, but I'm saying that it gives us lens credence to uh, the importance or the um, kind of reverence for our thoughts and uh, to really begin to kind of have a more thorough thought audit, if you will, um, throughout certainly the day, but then into the evening hours of what are we spending our time, whether it's rumination patterns, um, you know, things that we're watching, things that we're reading, conversations we're having with partners or whatever, um, and how we can kind of reallocate some of those stressful ones to, you know, daytime hours, or, you know, the age old still rings true, having like pen, paper, and writing out, um, are kind of stressors and just getting them out. Some taking some sort of action can often be calming for the brain to know that like, okay, this is a person that's going to handle these things and not just, you know, only look at them when they have to be forced to and laying on the, on the bed. I hope you enjoyed this masterclass repurposing of a recording from Surrender Gym. I think Molly did a fantastic job. I'm so thankful for her sharing all of this amazing information. If it felt like a lot or too much to handle in one sitting, listen to this in bits and take notes. There's so much great information here based on her own research and experience and continued um, work with her clients that we really could all benefit from taking some pearls of wisdom from Molly's masterclass on sleep. Thank you again for sticking with me as we continue to mind our wellness. I'll see you here again next time.